you, Tom, it's Bob from the office down the hall. It's good to see you, buddy. How have you been? Things have been okay for me, except that I'm a zombie now. I really wish you'd let us in. This is Ross Payton here with Roleplay Bubble Radio, and this is episode 41, The Smoking D20, How to Run a Mystery Game, or some advice on running mysteries. It is a mystery. I'm sorry, Ross. I was, and yes, yes. I was trying to think of a way to politely do the whole mock the announcer voice thing, but... That's old. I'm just not in... I'm not, in, I'm not feeling it right now. I know. I'll just say it, and we could just move on, Tom. Shtick's old. The shtick. Is is old. Yes, so but we can move on. But I'm I'm a, I'm a sucker. Progress. I'm a sucker for nostalgia. Well, yeah. You know who else was Hitler? Yes. So and the Nazis. Uh huh. They loved that shit. Yeah. So. I thought they were all about looking to the future. No, they were very nostalgic about King Arthur and you know yeah, yeah. The, Vikings. Yeah. See, you want to be like him? So well, I like Vikings. <laughs> you just don't know when to quit. Sometimes I don't, uh, I admit it. Yeah. So anyways, uh, we got a big episode for you today. It's been a while. Uh, we've been kind of busy with all kinds of stuff. And uh, this one is going to be about uh, how to run a mystery yeah. game. How to I run really a, haven't been very busy with things that are important, but if Ross is busy, we can't do anything. Yeah, because Tom doesn't learn the technical stuff to do it. So I also want to spend a fortune on the equipment either. Well, you could. Equipment's already here, Tom, if you just learn how to use it. Oh, yeah? yeah. You got time to teach me all that shit? See, there you go. You, I, no one had, no one taught me, Tom. I learned it myself. How does that make you feel? Makes me feel better than you. All right. So, uh huh. Yeah. Not really. No, not right. at all. It's just annoying. So, <laughs> anyways, we should get on the news. The news of the the RPPR, the announcements. Um, first off, we have a a huge one. This this is a project I've been working on for months and months and months. And I'm only now getting around to getting out in the public. And uh, this is sort of the official public announcement on RPPR. I have a new uh, uh, project. It's called Zombies of the World. It's going to be a web series. It's going to be a blog. Uh, Tom's going to help on it. And yep. uh, the basic idea is that it's a nature documentary about zombies and all the subspecies of zombies. And out there are the many. World. There are many. More than you'd think. More, Many more. For example, the Egyptian mummy is really a subspecies of zombies. I, I bet you didn't know that. But now you do. Oh, well, I helped on this movie. I am educated. Well, yes, yes. Um, you see, it's really a desert zombie. I mean, it's slow. It's undead. Mm-hmm. It wants to kill people. So yeah, the uh, hopping zombie, the Chinese hopping corpse, is another type of zombie. Some people thought it was a vampire, but no, it's a zombie. Okay, it's a zombie. And please, uh, vampires. There's yeah. no such thing. Well, there are vampires, but that's that's beyond the scope of this documentary. It's and, that, that's a project for later. So we're going to cover uh, adaptation, the evolution of the zombie, uh, how it's adapted, how humanity is uh, Re- adapted to it, uh, migration habits, reproductive um, habits, reproductive how. Yeah, there are many endangered and extinct zombie species. Did you know the Aztec mummy is now extinct because of over uh, predation from its uh, natural predator, the robot? Well, not a natural predator. It was brought over with the conquistadors, like the rats. Yeah, so, and horses. Aztec mummy, mummies versus robots. Um, it's it's a tragedy. You know, the robots win most of the time. Yeah. Because well, they're made of metal. 
And they're strong. And they're strong. <laughs> so um, if you go to zombiesoftheworld.com, you can see the trailer that sort of gives a little uh, hints about what's to come. Yeah. It's on YouTube uh, as well if you're yeah. lazy. Yeah. Well, the, the, the YouTube, I mean, I'll, I'll embed the video in this episode, show notes. Um, but Zombies of the World, we'll have a blog. Tom is going to be contributing to the blog. I, I shall. Um, there's going to be all kinds of great stuff if you're a zombie fan. Um, I'm writing a field guide to Zombies of the World. If you want to. If you yeah. want to donate to zombie charities. Yes, exactly. Uh, there's a poster. We have great art from a very talented artist, Tom Rhodes. Uh, and, and, of course, Ian Moody and uh, some of the other people, uh, RPPR contributors, collaborators. Um, it's If you're a zombie fan... Yeah, it, it This this project is a, a giving the zombies a different look. Instead of the traditional survival horror, how would you survive a zombie apocalypse? It looks, you know, the more complex view of its role in the ecosystem and the mystery of the zombie, you know. And how can we coexist with them? Exactly. So it's just, uh, it's both just are great. Here, both are here to stay, so you yeah. better learn to live with each other. Exactly, exactly. So uh, we'll have more of this in future episodes, but and, if you're a zombie lack fan, of education is the primary cause of everything. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, we do give zombie survival tips, and though uh, the, uh, strangely enough, it's not the zombies you have to worry about in the zombie apocalypse or no. a zombie attack. It's the other people. So if you want to know who not to trust? You know, stay tuned uh, to Zombies of the World. Yeah, we'll, we'll give some information about yeah, that. Yeah, look at it. Just yeah, you know, look at Afghanistan and Iraq for yeah. when government's suddenly taken away to see how people react. Exactly. Um, so that that that's the big project. I've, I've just I've been working on it since at least the summer of last year, and now I'm finally getting it out. Um, you'll hear a lot more about it in the future episodes. But if you're a zombie fan, and you want to help out, uh, be sure to send the link to your friends and let them know. So spread uh, the word. Yes, yeah, spread the word. So moving, moving, moving on, as uh, Colbert would say. Um, we're also going to be starting another New World ransom. Um, I know you guys love the New World Primer uh, and the Goblin Hulk PDF, which yeah. is being translated into Portuguese by a, a Brazilian RPPR fan. So. Uh, yeah. We're international. <laughs> Very international. Now, both of those have gotten over, um, last time I checked, 12,000 downloads for the Primer and 11,000 downloads for the Goblin Hulk in the, the few months they've been up. And that's that's really big numbers for an RPG. That's badass. That's for a PDF. Yeah. I mean, you know, Pathfinder obviously got much bigger, but they're huge. But for a little PDF to get that, uh, my favorite thing is that um, the... Uh, torrent sites, you know, the pirate torrent sites with all the little, uh, um, what you call it, um, wares PDFs of RPGs. Mm-hmm. I've seen the the New World Primer and uh, uh, on some of these torrent sites, like RPG Grab Bag, yeah, and they have all these. It's free. Yeah, it's free, legitimately. <laughs> you don't need to pirate it. But I think uh, some people just need to pirate things. Yeah, they just threw it in the bundle with like fifty other PDFs. So I'm like, whatever. I got the role playing public radio address in there. I got my. It's promotional. It's free. It's out there. So you don't need to steal. It's okay. Stop all the downloading. You, yes. you really went there. <laughs> yeah, you I actually did. went there. It was uh, it was appropriate, don't don't you think? It, it, it worked. But dude, it that, wasn't a writ. It, it okay, was okay. I'm I'm not putting you down. Yeah. I'm just that's surprising coming from you. Yeah, well, I, uh, it worked. You occasionally step down on this on step down to with, with the rest of us mortals to say things like, "Hey, that? it it's I like pork chop sandwiches as much as the next guy." Is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So. um you just, but you don't normally talk about it. No, I don't. But you know, if I'm get it too tense and I need a body massage, and I'm, I'll, I'll go out and say it. I mean, I'm not, I'm Holy not too. Holy shit! You are just going all out. I know. Um, for those of you who don't get me, what references I'm making? Ha ha ha! I'm not going to link to it. You'll no. just have to figure that figure out. Figure it out. Yeah. Or post in the comments and and ask questions. We love comments. Yeah, just be careful because you could yeah. wake up on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> nice, 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 Thank right you. there. Um, so the codex for the, the 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 next supplement is going to be called Codex of War, and it's going to be focusing on a war between a native tribe uh, or alliance of tribes versus the colony. So natives versus colonies. So obviously in the the RPPR campaign, we're dealing the the players dealt with Cortez, a conquistador who came, took over a bunch of native tribes, and then declared war on the colony, basically. But we're we're going to set up to be more generalized, so you can run all kinds of different wars with different leaders, uh, different uh, types of wars, like. You know, there's all out, there's all out war, you know, but then there's like, if you look at actual tribes, there there are varying levels of war. I mean, like native tribes are uh, are prefer more raiding, guerrilla warfare type things. Yeah, so cold war. Yeah. Um. So so it will be very open ended. and There's going to be very little 4E mechanical material in it. So it'll be usable in any type of fantasy campaign that's even remotely. Uh, Navi versus the military-industrial complex. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Just in case, you know, there's a couple of people that haven't don't know. What I mean, well, about. they do. I, I guess the colony did have magic robots, so uh, yeah. I guess you know there were there is some you know comparison there. Um, yeah, I wonder what the level adjustment for a Navi would be. In well, large-sized. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Huge. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, some kind of you know. Na- commune with na- commune with nature power. Yeah, uh, druids. Yeah, druids and rangers. You know, I would. Lo- I I think Avatar would be better if the in Avatar two they reveal that the planetary. I'm oh I'm spoiling Avatar. I'm spoiling. Oh Avatar. my god. Um, if the planetary intelligence in Avatar was revealed to basically be a great old one, and so in Avatar two it's like oh shit the great old one has woken up and now it's gonna go back to Earth and you know enslave us all. Yeah. Uh, that would be a fucking kick-ass movie. It was like, you know, Plant Cthulhu, you know. So, but, yeah, they haven't called you yet. No, no, I don't think Cameron is going to go in that direction. He he should. Yeah, he's probably going to say the planetary intelligence, the Gaia or whatever the Pandora is, is a good thing, as opposed to being an alien that, uh, beyond our comprehension, that sees us as insects or mere annoyances that uh, must enslave or destroy outright. So, I don't think he's going to go with that. What do you no, think? The cosmic no. dread and Avatar. I didn't really see much. I, of that. I'm fr- I'm sorry, man. I I just don't see that happening. Yeah. True genius is often. You know, I mean, to be fair though, I'm kind of biased. I think anything in Cosmic Dread is would improve anything. You can add Cosmic Dread to anything. Pride and Prejudice and Cosmic Dread. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. War and Peace and Cosmic Dread. Like ah, uh, crime and punishment and uh, uh, Cosmic Dread. It's like I killed this the the landlady and uh, I take her money. But what does it mean? Uh, I'm gonna be eating my Cthulhu. You know. <laughs> um. Yeah. War and Peace. Like we defeated Napoleon. My Little Pony and Cosmic Dread. Yeah, like, like War and Peace. Like we defeated Napoleon's army. But what does it matter? <laughs> the old ones are still coming. <laughs> Let me describe forty pages of peasants and their agricultural techniques. And <laughs> um, but that's all meaningless because they actually worship a cult that's going to summon an elder god that's going to destroy reality. So yeah, like or like or the or the dis- or the disruption of yeah of agriculture because the villagers no longer need to work. The, the sacrifices they make to their dark god, the god rewards them with gold. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And only requires that they interbreed with it. <laughs> so um, that's that was kind of a weird tangent that we went on, but uh, I, I think, think it, it was appropriate. Yeah. I so, by- Co- and the Zombies of the World, 
And uh, Codex of War. Uh, Codex of War, hopefully I'm using Kickstarter. Hopefully I'll be able to set that up before we get this episode up. Uh, just check the show notes, and that'll tell you how you can donate, how you can set up money to go that. We're going to do go for a bigger uh, number this time. We're going to go $1,500. But, oh, uh, my God. Cody is going to be working on it. Patrick's going to be working on it. Uh, working so on it. Yeah, you'll be working on it. So it'll be, it'll be a group effort. It'll be, it'll be awesome. It'll be jawsome, even. So, jawsome? Yeah. We're going there now? Yeah. yeah. Wow, weird. It's going to be sweet, is what I'm saying. You are high. <laughs> I'm high on life. I'm high on life. And some other things. Yes. Yes, Tom. Of course. Whatever you say. Um, finally, uh, in terms of oh, a few more pieces of news, uh, Haiti, uh, uh, you know, tragedy there. But uh, I just want to mention that the drive through RPG and RPG now, they're, they're the same company now, um, had a fundraiser for Haiti and uh, in January. You could pay 20 bucks and you would get... $1,400 worth of RPG PDFs for free. I mean, the deal's over now. It's been over for a little while, but I donated. I had a lot of really cool stuff on there, uh, like 316 Carnage Among the Stars, a bunch of other games. And um, they raised, they just put out a pre- press release. I just want to mention this. Um, $178,900 is how much they raised through tabletop gamers. Which gamers is, are awesome yes. people. So, uh, the, if you donated, if you got those RPGs, good for you. You're a good person. Gamers will save them. And you have a lot more game stuff now. now PDFs, you like 1,400, like 60 or 70 PDFs, yeah. or I don't know how many there Gamers were. Gamers are going to save this world. Yeah. Um, well, maybe not. Yeah. Might tone it down. I mean, good people <laughs> save the world. A little little jump there from the first to the next one. Don't you I, think, Tom? I believe. You believe? I believe. You, okay, you believe. Um, and then finally, uh, we're going to Fear the Con next month. I'm going to be running three games there. Uh, we'll be there Friday and Saturday. Uh, we're going to try and do some stuff with some of the other podcasts there. Fear the Boot, obviously, kicking the dice bags. Uh, a couple other podcasts are showing up. It's going to be great. Going to record games. Those of which we aspire to got a to new be. scenario planned out for Age of Masks. So there will be a new Age of Masks scenario. Um, it'll be sweet. I'm looking forward to running it. Um, and, uh, yeah, so Tom and I will be there recording stuff. So if you're in the St. If you can make it to St. Louis for that week, that weekend, it would be great. So, uh, cause you can say hi and see us and tut and poke us or something. You know, it's like, like, you know, look at us up, up, not with disdain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're the guy, people downloading, listening to us, but you are preparedness. You're, you're just please, so great. You're so We awesome. are just mortal. Yeah. We are not gods. Yeah. And we're not awesome like the RPPR listeners. Exactly. They're so awesome. Yes. But yeah. So, especially if they donate. And oh, don't. Oh, my God. Yeah. He makes you gods among men <laughs> or gods among women. I, you know. So, um, and finally, uh, sort of personal news I got a new computer. Um, I built, well, actually, yeah. uh, I, I just bought the parts. Um, it's uh, Intel i5 750 uh, quad core. Uh, it's got a Radeon. Yeah, why don't you tell them put it together for you? I'm getting to that, Tom. So it's a nice new computer using Windows 7. Yeah, the thing is, my old PC was like six or seven years old. It was running Windows XP. It might, well, might as well have been a paperweight. Well, it still worked, but it was like it was shit. Yeah, it was. It wasn't. It was shit. <laughs> I we I want you to say that, Ross. It was not shit. It, it was served shit. me well. It was time. But for, now it's shit. No, it it's retired. It's dead. No, I just took the heart. You were tired of the CIA way. You, <laughs> That's a vitriol, Tom. Did, did my computer like shoot your dog or cat or something? No. Yeah. 
Anyway, my new computer is great. Dual monitor. It's sweet. It's uh, you know, it's only like eight hundred bucks. It's not like top of the line, but it it will be good. But the the thing is, Aaron uh, built it for me because I've never built a computer by myself, and I didn't want to fuck it up. Yeah. And Aaron had experience. He's put together. In that. He's put together many a system before. And it, and he did it on the first try, and it worked just great. And so, now Ross uh, owes him. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, sure, I do. And that pains yeah. Ross to no end. No, no, no. Aaron's a good I've guy. S- yeah. I've watched you cry yourself to sleep a couple of times over that. <laughs> no, Tom. Um, I, I, I don't know why you would be watching me sleep. I, I, I thought I locked my doors at night. Apparently not. Uh, you, haven't found the, you haven't found the cameras. Oh, well. I just, pretty much, I just watch you. I think we always. should move on it got, got a little creepy there you know i thought i thought a little creepiness would be good yeah um which i guess is a good segue into our our main topic of the show which is uh of course uh running a mystery game running an investigation game which is uh you know meat about potatoes, creepiness yeah, yeah. meat and potatoes are called cthulhu really well and a lot of other games uh world of darkness a lot of them um a lot of uh shatter on cyberpunk are you know can mm-hmm. be run i mean it, pretty much everything other than dean any any modern game can be a mystery game investigation game but uh, it's really D that's the investigation sort of the very out of character with this. Like, well, anyway, you can do it if you must. Yeah, yeah. It's not the system's not met up set up for it. But um I know there's gonna be like people coming like, I wrote a blah blah blah. Well I'm I'm good for you. Thirty sessions. Yeah, um, so anyways, mystery games. Um the genesis of this episode is because Tom, you know, you've been running some RPG uh, scenarios, mystery yeah. games. Um and you found well tell, tell Well yeah. it's something that it didn't become clear to me. I mean, it really wasn't true in Divine Fire, which is the first thing I ever ran with you. It's really the later ones that I've been running action-oriented games for 25 years. Going, well, not that long, but like going on over 20 years. I've been running that. And it's quite a change to try to do some investigative stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been, I played in a lot of them with you, so I thought, yeah, I could do this. And I have to tell you, Running an action game and running a mystery are two very different things. Very. Um, after your your instincts for running action games are for, sort of contrary to what mystery game would very counterintuitive right. for you is what. Right. You're uh, kind you of- know, running an action scene is easy mm-hmm. for me, and well, for me, it's pretty much you have the situation, you got the guys you're gonna, you got the shit you're gonna throw at them. Opposition. Yeah, and uh, then you shake it up and just throw it and say go, mm-hmm. and uh, get it's like go from here to here and alive. Right. That's really, I mean, that's really, it's, that's, you know, the skeleton of running an action scene. The rest right. is style, I mean, it's style and everything else and what right, the right. players do. But it's essentially get from A to B without being killed. Right. A mystery is, it's a labyrinth. Right. Well, tell me about your, like, your experience. Focus on, like, your, how, when you were running ex- mysteries, what happened, you know, like. Well, it's like, um, I, I, I've done another one recently, which. Yeah. I, I did I one before that was set in a forest fire that I really did not like. Yeah. Uh, but we have a recorder. We haven't posted it yet. No. But uh, like running it, running like running it. I tend to notice my when I do a mystery, my opening scenes are really good and mm-hmm. my ending scenes are really good. But right. the middle can get really strained sometimes because well, like with a mystery, like, okay, yeah. with my thing with a mystery, I have a I have a problem putting lots of clues out. 
Well, but you I, talk talk about like uh, the one you just ran, like what how you stumbled on it, like what was your specific hurdle? Okay, well, it was uh, Call of Cthulhu and the Fifty Cold War KGB. It was a sequel to Divine Fire. Sequel right? to Divine Fire. Yeah, uh, and everyone still had fun, which was great. But well, that, but give the, the, I, give, I, the, give the yeah, listener. Yeah, sorry, thank you, Ross. <laughs> it was essentially uh, the players were playing KGB agents, mm. and a prisoner had escaped from a Soviet prison. Right. Which was, uh, by the way, a character from the first Divine Fire. Um, Kohler, right? The, yeah. the guard who was Yeah, the SS the... guard yeah. who survived. Yeah. And the players were a KGB team sent to bring him back. Right. Now, the op- now the beginning was investigating the actual prison. The right. cell he was in, the escape he did. And right like right off the bat, I put only a... F- just a f- there was only a few clues I put in. Right. That were very specific because... There really was only one place to go from there, right? Which was, you know, following on the trail. So all right. I all I had to do there, right? All I had to do there was like, okay, get put just you know just enough clues so they could look. Okay, and well, he's probably going to go here, so we need to right. go here. But it's once they got there, yeah, that I once again I'm thinking in a very linear fashion. Well, yeah, I, I, I when we were discussing the show, I think you you, you told me that um, you were thinking, oh, okay, now. What do I do now? You know, okay, they need to get here. You know, you were thinking yeah, like I've had a few. I had a few situations where there was a clue that had to be found, and everyone would roll their spot hit, and everyone failed. I'm like, oh shit, I really need them to find this. Right, right. So I had to. Okay, uh, there's was, was one of those moments where I was kind of doing exactly what I just did. Uh, uh, it, um, yeah, yeah. So your brain goes into maximum overdrive you didn't have anything you, you couldn't think of how to adjust for that in other right. words like you you basically hit a brick wall which is something you don't really does that ever happen when you're running an action game do you ever like hit a spot where the players actually the thing with action games i don't right because with that you know if i run into something where oh there's a problem well the best thing with an action game is uh like if i need to buy time like uh Five guys burst through the window with guns. Right, that's Raymond Chandler's advice. Yeah, and uh, uh, and then I know that's if there's a problem, that's normally plenty of time. Like, oh, and once that fight's over, like, hey, one of them dropped something. Yeah, but uh, yeah, good. but with the mystery game I was trying to run, that really wasn't that I I wasn't finding it wouldn't any make way around. sense either. No, it would be out of it'd be out of genre, and um, it wouldn't. And uh, not just as a genre, just it wouldn't but, make sense. And also, I planned, I, I planned the whole game like I would plan an action game. Okay. One scene, a one, another scene, another scene. This is what happens here. And I was really just, I think everyone could tell, I was just focused on getting from scene A to scene B to scene C. Right. And oftentimes the players would say they didn't, they felt their characters had done everything they could possibly do. Right. Which. Yeah, actually, that's, that's something that I've felt several times in your scenarios now. When when we, someone one of the players says that, what are you thinking? Like, what is the disconnect between us saying we've done everything we can, and you like, what 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 are you waiting for? Or what were you specifically like wanting to well, have? Well, I have the I have the whole thing and the whole plot in my head. Right, right. And I'm, I guess sometimes I assume that my line of logic is perfectly reasonable, and everyone else is just going to go along the same way. Okay, so but, you were oh, sorry. But you know, I don't. I don't compensate for. Well, what if they don't think that? Okay. So you were you were expecting us to hit one, do one specific thing that would trigger. Yeah. The, going maybe on if next. I was really advanced, two. There yeah. were two things. Okay. So that that's the thing. There is there's some mm-hmm. hidden clue. There's something that we didn't do. 
So okay, so that's okay. That's what I was wondering about. I didn't know if that was like we had just not hit upon the right thing to do, or if you had, um, or if you were just you know hitting a brick wall again. But you right. you 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 knew what was supposed I, I knew, to. Happen. I knew it was supposed to happen okay. at all times. Okay. But oftentimes it's the trigger I was looking for. You didn't stump. You didn't get. Okay. Okay. And were uh, there any particular ones that were like, I can't believe they didn't think of this. I mean, I'm just curious. Like, were there, was there anything? Uh. For many of the games, like anything that's just like, oh my god, I can't believe you didn't do X. Uh, nothing that really jumps out. I mean, okay. I mean the nothing. Actually, I mean, but there was nothing really, that, really striking in the KGB one, mm-hmm. which is the most recent thing I've run. Uh, there was, yeah, there were, I think there were some in some of my earlier ones. Yeah. I'd, ha- I'd have to go back and listen to them. Okay. Well, okay. I was just curious. That's just personal curiosity. Right. Right. Um, but you kind of hit it on the head. You know that. Uh, you have to think about the structure of uh, of your game, and an action game and a mystery game are very different. Like, I mean, you're sort of hitting it earlier. An action game is, if you think about it, it's trailblazing. You're going the, you know where point A is, and the players know where point B is from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. It's like and, now, now get through the shit I've thrown in your right. way. Right. You have to cut a hack a path through there, through violence or through traps or through whatever else, mm-hmm. or you know, convince the guy to do this. It's a very direct game. There's no real mystery. Uh, of you know, you just have to get I mean, there's through. Big, it. I mean, there's an obstacle. Well, course. there can be mystery, like more in the ways like big reveals or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the very structure of a mystery game is different because it's a maze. You know, you're you start at point A, and you don't even necessarily know where point B, the end is. So you 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 you're presented with uh, ideally with a multitude of paths, and you have to go through them. And um, the the question then is interpreting the information you have in order to pick the right path and then go on to the next point to go on to the next point to go on to the next point. So, uh, or yeah, I remember you drew a, you drew a diagram yeah. saying what well, you're kind of illustrating your problem. Yeah. I mean, I must, okay. I am going to say that everyone still had a great time. I'm, I feel I should yeah. reiterate that, but you said that, yeah, you showed me that they, like the games often have only a few branching paths. Yeah. And you really kind of need more. Yeah. Um, now, for me, the reason why I've, I've, uh, what I did before I ran anything of my own, any mysteries that I developed on my own, is I read and I uh, ran a lot of published scenarios. And this is the great thing about Call of Cthulhu. It's uh, probably the best, the highest standard in adventure writing any, in, the, in the RPG industry as a whole. I mean, D and D adventure dungeon crawls are pretty much, you know, They're dungeon crawls. Yeah, um, but in the Call of Cthulhu, like. Uh, you have a very high standard for most of the scenarios. I mean, there's obviously some sneakers, but you know, Delta Green Adventures are all uniformly excellent, and um, the ones in the core book are pretty good. The Haunting and all that other stuff. So, um, the, the the what Tom was talking about, um, I I pulled out my copy of Mass Annihilator Lothotep, the the longest campaign, second longest campaign aside from New World that I've ever run, and. What I did was I looked at the very first room, the very first scene. You know, not really spoiling it. Is that the characters are in New York City and they're inve- and they're going to see their friend who's a reporter or investigative uh, journalist, and they find him in his room murdered. And depending on how long it took him to get there, the the, the murders could be long gone, or they could have a gun, you know, a fight with the cultists who just hacked him to pieces. Mm-hmm. Now I'm just going to read you a list of the uh, it's the entry on page 23 of the complete mask. The information in room 410. I'm just going to summarize. 
Item, a letter addressed to Roger Carlyle. The text is a barely readable scrawl. Item, a business card, elegantly engraved. Item, a matchbook, empty. Item, a photograph, blurry and grainy. It shows a large diesel yacht behind, beyond, uh, behind some Chinese junks. Item, a business card, printed on ordinary stock. Item, a typewritten letter, without envelope from Merriam Artwright. Item, a small sheet of paper ins inserted in the second volume of a uh, book. Item, the symbol on the forehead of the victim. And there are a bunch of handouts to go along with it. I mean, you don't need to go all the effort of uh, looking on that. But that's, you know, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven items in the very first room, not counting whatever the cultists had. So the players already have a ton of shit they need to, they can do, you know, more than they could do in a single scenario. I mean, they're not going to, they have to prioritize what's the most important clue, you know? So again, it, the, the central challenge in a mystery, I think is interpretation, interpreting the information you have to figure out the truth, to uncover the truth, um, which is different in, in your game. There was only one specific path. Mm -hmm. It was just figuring out the specific keyword right. or button or action. So, um, now the, the the question then becomes how do you do this for your own material? So, um, what if? So in in terms of you say you already know everything that's going to happen, or you know the plot forward and backwards when you're writing yeah. your material. Um, like, what do you mean by that? I mean, well, I mean, okay, well, obviously, I don't know. Ex I don't everything. I don't know how the players are going to react to some things. Yeah, but I pretty much have where everything's going to go and what order. Mm-hmm. Which I think is that's orders a problem because they might they may find like okay like in the KGB one it could have been they might have they might have found the the SS guy before they before they went to the farm okay well how would we have gotten the SS guy the information we only heard about the SS guy through the radio in the farmhouse how would it have been impossible for us to find the SS guy before? well that's an example okay if and uh, obvi obviously it's it's pretty much uh, it's, in every location there's like one or two clues max that okay. I had. That you had, okay. If I were to rewrite this and try to do it better, obviously that's. I would, obviously I would, I would, there's a lot of changes I would make. Right now, the thing is, what I do is uh, when I'm doing writing my own mystery. Like, for example, last night I ran a great uh, New World of Darkness game for Cody and Jason that I'll post soon because I was just really, I think I really nailed it. In the first ninety minutes is just Cody and Jason, uh, Cody and Jason in this small town basically researching mm -hmm. and there's no danger. There's no, they're just doing legwork and it's kind of, you know, it, there's some role playing cause it's a small town in Kansas. So they like, you know, he infiltrates uh, a, a high school cafeteria lunch room or kitchen mm -hmm. so he can get some gossip from the old ladies and yeah. everything. And, but I didn't come up with a list of specific clues. It's what I did is I understood what the, the backstory behind this was. And I understood what, where this information would go who would know what i'd have a general idea of who would know what and what kind of things for example um so if i was doing like your kgb scenario for example um i would know that the the person who dug out the prisoner who helped mm -hmm. them escape he would have left this kind of trail behind him because that that was the thing i think about it was that your characters were so competent that they didn't leave any traces behind yeah um and one thing that that sort of that i was kind of surprised was that there wasn't any any real information from the dossier i mean you said this prisoner had been there for seven years 
and or uh, yeah, seven years I think, right? Uh, uh, it's 1952, right? Was, yes. Yeah. So, but there we didn't really get anything from the dossier. No, that's actually that's one mistake I realized right as I was starting. Yeah. I didn't really write up a dossier. Okay. What? But did you have to write up a dossier? I mean, I well, I didn't. I didn't really detail it that much. Okay. But logically, what kind of information would have been in there? Could you could you have answered made that up on the fly? Yeah, I think yeah, I, I could have. Okay, so that's that's one thing is like saying okay, the dossier, it, it would have been pretty big, I think at least mm-hmm. it would probably would have been a couple of boxes if he'd been there for seven years. I mean, of all these interviews and everything, and they hadn't shot him yet, so obviously he was valuable. Um, you know, what would the guards have known? I mean, like we we talked to the guards a little bit. And we didn't really get much information from them, I don't think. Um, could they have had more information? Could they have more? Well, obviously, once again, yeah. I was I was really that's okay, and that's that's one personal weakness of mine. Some scenes I like more than others. Okay. And I'm anxious to get there. Oh, okay. That you know that you know if there's like a scene I suddenly think of, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh man, oh shit, I love this. this is gonna be awesome. But there's like two scenes before it. That I kind of thought out, like, yeah, they, I'm, and they they need to be here, but I'm really looking forward to this one. Okay, I I sometimes get impatient. Okay, especially especially you know with our group, but kind of like they kind of like the investigate. They like the investigative shit. Yeah, no, I mean and, Cody uh, and Jason really got into so that. they can spend a long time on some stuff that maybe I'm not that interested in. Yeah, which that's just a personal preference thing. Right. Um. That that that's very interesting. Um. Like Cody and Jason, they chose to do the investigating. Oh, yeah. They 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 like I didn't force them to stay in this town for an hour and a half while before they could go to the haunted house. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not I don't want to give anything away, but there was basically a haunted kind of haunted house there, and they but they they wanted to figure out all the. I asked them, do you want to go? No, to the and house? we don't. And uh, I, I didn't I, force. I, them I like in. investigation too. Like you know, yeah. stuff I the stuff I ran before we. No. I love I often just the build up to getting to where the yeah. scary shit was. But my question to you is. Um, you say you want to get to a certain scene. Why do you have? Why can't you get to that scene right now? What's holding you back? Because once again, I have planned it in a linear fashion. Okay. It's, it's, so in my in my head, I'm thinking they have to get from here to here, then to there. Okay. Well, so how hard would it be for you to say they? I just want to get to that now, like to skip those scenes. Would that throw you off so much or I don't think I don't think it would and I think I could probably do it okay I just don't think I was really too keen on testing that changing that okay mm-hmm. so you're still uh, and try, me, and you're still a little un, un, a wobbly on improving a little bit or improvising um, or at least m- not in terms m- of more like improving on the stuff I was doing I was working okay. with changing what you've yeah, I, which I, I mean I'm, a, I'm I, I think I should say that I'm actually planning a uh an actual action game with mm-hmm. this group, which is I've never done that before. Right. So I'm actually inter- interested. I'll make a pacifist uh, quadriplegic. Well, then you're going to die <laughs> very fast. <laughs> um, no, it's no. I'm really good at Im- at improving um, certain things. Okay. You know, um, like you know, role playing an NPC. I know you're pretty good at role playing an NPC and like role playing action scenes. Mm-hmm. I think I'm really good at. I'm. But you're afraid. It seems you're reluctant to touch the structure because. Oh, I have to admit, um, running mysteries is still outside my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I kind of just dove right into it. Yeah, I didn't read any published scenario. Well, I read a couple, but right. 
I should probably should have run a published scenario yeah. first. That's I mean, to be honest, you were bolder than I was. I was much more cautious with you because I ran so much material out there because I was re- <laughs> reading this stuff. I was like, how can I compete with this? I mean, this this guy's done a lot of work. He's dug up all this information and he's read all this stuff. And to me, in a sense, that was kind of a problem because I, uh, uh, especially in Mass Denial, it wasn't until halfway through the campaign that I was confident enough to start you know, adding my own material to the published material, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, yeah. I was running it strictly by the book. I wasn't touching a thing in that. And I was... And I think the game suffered because the PCs, no matter how great the scenario is written, it, the P, no group is going to approach it the same way. So there's going to be some times you're going to have to, you know, color outside the lines, as they right. if, if that makes sense. Um, and I was afraid to do that. So I, I know I, I can sympathize. I, I, the exact same problem, just, you know, especially it was even worse for me because this was published material these the author's words on printed paper someone had yeah. paid money for this uh, i think i'm ha- i think i had kind of a i think i had just kind of a realization right at this moment yeah the reason i you know remember the uh remember the mutants and masterminds thing i ran uh which one the future one uh where i was praxis where I, the the it's set in the space station or first yeah 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 it's that's really more of an action game i was planning yeah but I would, but I, my head was locked on now planning mysteries. Okay. I, I, I ran it as a mystery when I planned it as an action. Okay. I, it's always kind of bugged me why that, why I've never been satisfied with that. Okay. So I was, I was playing an action game and ran it like a mystery. Interesting. I don't really remember. Um, what kind of friction did that cause, or what kind of problems did that cause for you? That, like, from your point of view, I mean, I don't. I, um... Well, me, once, well, once again, you know, there was only uh, you probably noticed there were. I didn't really have many branches where you where you could go out. Yeah, that's true. I had, but I kind of had kind of planned it that way. Yeah. But it's I was. So what happened? So why could if you planned it to have a bunch of options, why didn't you? Uh, it's I think because I'm, because every game I've run so far with this group has been a mystery thing. That I'm still, but I'm still. I was in kind of an act. Well, I wouldn't call it divine fire mystery. I mean, well, that was survival uh, horror, which survival is type horror, of which is action. it's a type of action. Yeah. But I'm, I guess I was realizing that something I had very little experience with and needed to work on. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have a lot of experience running mysteries. I thought I really like I need to build build up my ability to do that. Okay. So you know, I guess Divine Fire, which I I personally liked, yeah. was because a lot of action, but I threw put some put some investigation into it as yeah. well. Then I'm like, okay, that worked well. Uh, well, let me try. I reworked it. I think the next game I ran was just the next run of it. Mm-hmm. I thought it worked better. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, a little, little more confident. Then I, I think the next one was the forest fire one. Yeah. And I, that one just that one to me I did not like at all. Yeah. Not, not everything is going to be in. Um, uh, no. Yeah. A hit. I mean, or yeah, knock you, out. Of I the know point. you can run games for twenty years like I have, and you're still going to do some shit. Yeah. No, I've run some pretty. St- I mean. Uh, there have been some New World sessions and some other games that I was like, it didn't work quite nearly as well mm-hmm. as I thought it was. Like the second game of Prototype. Uh, which, <laughs> we're talking about all these games that we haven't published, that we haven't posted yeah, yet. You'll, you'll, you'll hear them. Yeah, eventually. Hear them. And then you'll come back and listen to this, because I know you guys love li- listening to this stuff over and over. Right. And, and that's great, because that, that, that that's, just, that's just super. So, and then I, I think I was, I built up a little confidence with those first two. Yeah. Then the Forest Fire one hit, and I realized that sucked, and then... Confident, you know, the confidence I had built had dropped. I'm like, all right, I need to, I need to rework. I need to do some more of this. But yeah. So then I thought I would try. Okay, I'll get back to something I like. But every Mutants and Masterminds game I have ever run has been an action oriented, as it's yeah. kind of designed to do. Right. 
But well, once again, I was trying to increase my ability to do something else, which right. was more investigative and mystery stuff. And that almost seemed to really overtake it. Right. Um, well, action games are easy to run. I mean, they point A to point B. I mean, it's a very traditional, it's a very narrative structure. I mean, like, all traditional media is basically that. I mean, like, you know, right. TVs, movies, they are point A to point B. It just, I mean, it's hard to see how to reframe that, restructure that for an RPG. Um, so, yeah. But I've, it's it's up to now that I now think, maybe I should just run one of my, one of the action games I've always run for this right. group. No, yeah, it'd be great. So that's what, um, we're gonna, that's what I'm going to do next. But I would really, uh, you know, encourage you to stay with mystery games because I think mystery games are really rewarding. No, they um, are. And it's, I've learned more just run, trying to run mystery than I have in a long time. Yeah, yeah. If you want to improve your GMing skills. Uh, for one thing, it seems like you still, you know, you're reluctant to mess the structure, you know, mess around with the structure of a game in the middle of a game, you know, even with your own material, right? Right. So... I think mysteries have to force you to do that because players will do the unexpected, you know, and you'll have to, uh, or they'll interpret clues in a yeah. way you never saw. So you have but to. Like, I really kind of think B twelve was the best I ever did there. Yeah, I mean, again, it kind of suffered from the same thing, the middle part, the investigation, you know. But but there was only two players. It was a pretty short one. And Aaron and I were bouncing off each other, and that, right. that friction caused a lot of entertainment. I think so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah. Business card, man. Oh man, I can't <laughs> believe that. Um, so you, you, I think that that, that gives you a, an idea of how to improve your your, your basic mystery, uh, how to how to write it, is to present more options than players can do. And again, the, the challenge becomes interpretation, mm. uh, figuring it out. You know, fi- getting to the truth, which can be somewhere buried in a pile of secrets and lies. Yeah. Secrets and lies. I'll tell you, the, I think the best thing I've learned so far with running those mysteries, particularly yeah. the last one, is I really had to do some research on it. Mm-hmm. I had to learn, okay, was Stalin still alive in 52? Good. Yeah. You know, uh, it was Idris, it was called the MGB then, not yeah. the KGB. Or who was the, 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 the minister of the Stasi? Who was his deputy? Yeah, yeah. I had to do all that kind of stuff, which is before, like, I, before I didn't, didn't really matter. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I get you. And that's the sort of thing you have to know because for me to run a mystery, I have to know the plot well enough that I can f- it basically figure out if a player says, I'm going to talk to this person. Like I, I obviously when I wrote this haunted house scenario that I knew there's a small town there, but I didn't stat out or figure out who the lunch ladies were in the high right. school cafeteria. I was like, okay, you're going oh, to the yeah. high school. Oh yeah. Even I don't do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was like, okay, but logically there's small town people you know, this haunted house has been around there for decades. They would know some shit. So mm-hmm. what kind of shit would they know? Well, I just kind of figured it out on the fly. Like, yeah. I, like I avoided that house when I was a kid. You know? Yeah. Well, the idea is that they all ask questions at, at a, mm-hmm. uh, when on their graduating year. So, um, so they say, oh yeah, I asked this and blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. You know, they, so-and-so did her and, you know, so-and-so is going out with so-and-so and blah, you know, that, that kind of gossip stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, you figure that out and, uh, you go from there. So, um, that I think gives you, for you listeners out there, if that helps you write your own mysteries, uh, again, I, I think the basic advice is write your own mystery, read the mysteries, Call of Cthulhu Adventures, especially, Run a few published ones if you can, and then make sure you know the material and you know set it up as a maze. Don't set it up as a trail blazing thingy obstacle course. Obstacle unless, course, yeah. yeah. Unless you want to do that. 
Well, then it's an action game. Right? Yeah, th- then then you're running action. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong so, with that, obviously. Throw, so. Throwing lots of gunships. You know, there was, there was one question about structure I wanted to ask you. So if you run any action games, if you run a sandbox game, like where players are totally open in I know we've talked about sandbox games before. But uh, I- I've done a few of those. I've only done a few, not so much because I don't like them, but often the players I go with, if you if you let them wander, that's exactly what they're going to do. Okay. They're just going to wander. They don't really have any. They 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 want. To I mean, drive. I think this group I could probably do it with. Yeah. But like my other group that I ran the gargoyles for. Yeah. No, they they don't want that. Okay. I mean, it's I don't think maybe they could, but they want they want some direction. Okay. Is so. Really, I think you know. Don't do that unless you know your the players can do it. Unless the players want to do it. Okay. Yeah. But it, it, assuming the players do, like um. You know, even in a sandbox game, it's still linear because they just choose which obstacle course they want to go over. Right. You know, know, like, oh, I want to go rob a bank. Okay. I mean, it's like GTA. I want to go rob a bank. Well, it's this mini game. Or, you know, I want to con some people. It's this mini game. Or, you know, something like that. So sandbox games are still pretty linear. It's just you choose which. In fact, uh, I did try it one time. Yeah. It was a cyberpunk. Yeah. And they were, it was uh, a, a, a mob boss from another city. Yeah. Who was forced out of forced out of the players' home city? Yeah, but who knew the players hire you know hires them to as a favor create another organization to rival the one that threw him out. Okay, and to all you know, all I was going to do you know, just drop them in the city. Yeah, they have this much startup money, mm-hmm. a small list of contacts, mm-hmm. and their own skills. Yeah, and it was okay. Build a criminal build a criminal network. Okay, you know. Start with what you know. Spend this money however you want, but if it's gone, if you blow it, it's gone. Right. So, the, how do the players respond? Well, actually, uh, <laughs> Aaron actually made this one not happen. Oh yeah. He didn't like the idea of being in a criminal organization. <sighs> Aaron. Yeah. Like you know, is this? This was so long ago, but yeah. he, he more wanted. I think he more wanted to do a. Uh, aid organization for the neighborhood okay yeah he was looking for more for a charity i see um well that which i'm like i already see where this is going yeah okay fair enough Uh, in fact that that whole game actually i actually ended that one aaron you're not really into this are you oh yeah and he said no well that's good uh let's just stop this okay fair enough um well, I think that <laughs> let's just stop this. That's a good segue for our next bit. Um, Tom, you you don't have a letter. You... I'm sorry. I yes, every waking moment for the last couple of weeks has been thoroughly focused on Mass Effect Two. Yes, I'm not going to give a shout out because that's just wrong. Yeah, it's a big game. You know about it. Yeah, everyone knows. Yes, fight for the lost. Wow, well, Ross, you do know, don't you? I've seen TV commercials for it. You see, oh, you watch TV, do you? Yeah, I do watch TV. Well, I watch good for Daily you. Daily Show and Colbert. Wow, I know you're and, awesome. And Lost, although I haven't seen this week because my. Uh, well, you're not a true fan then. I I'll watch it. It's better. <laughs> okay. So, anyways, uh, but we will have something special. I'm going to read an excerpt from a novel that I'm reading that is utterly hilarious. It's called How I Became a Famous Novelist. It will be a shout out, obviously, and the excerpt is about uh, this guy. 
analyzing trends in popular fiction and uh, uh, real figuring he's approaching writing a novel like a scam like oh these guys are just scamming people to make money you know writing yeah. crap to make money and uh, it's very funny so I'll read an excerpt of that and then we'll go on of course do shout outs and an anecdote from listener and uh, all this other stuff and of course the uh, the music for this episode is Mr. Jonathan Colton read your brains because uh, just in case you've never heard zombies of are great zombies are just peachy keen and they're unmisunderstood. They are. So. And they'll still kill you, though. They will. Oh, they'll fuck you up. All right, we'll uh, we'll be back soon. Why you folks might hesitate to submit to our demand. But here's an FYI. You're all gonna die screaming. All we want to do is eat your brains. We're not unreasonable. I mean, no one's gonna eat your eyes. All we wanna do is eat your brains. We're at an impasse here. Maybe we should compromise. If you open up the door, we'll all come inside and eat your brains. Anyway, um, How I Became a Famous Novelist by Steve Healy who is a writer for, uh, was a writer for David Letterman and uh, is writing for American Dad and a few other shows, I think. Um, it's about a guy who gets an invitation to his ex-girlfriend's wedding in a year and decides to humiliate her by writing a best-selling novel. So, <laughs> by saying, ah, look at me. So, I'm just going to read a portion of this um, about what he, he at one point decides to write a thriller. So, he reads one and decides... Um, one called the Darwin Enigma, and decides, figures out what he needs to do to write a best-selling thriller novel. But what I took away from my brief review of the Darwin Enigma was that this kind of writing is easy. You invent the awesomest hero you can think of, pit him against dark, mysterious forces, forces, and let a secret spill out as he crisscrosses the globe. You write about something that people know is important, but they don't really understand, and you make it seem diabolical. You don't bury your action under a lot of nuanced characters or artful prose. Then you buy yourself a pimped-out Escalade, triumph at your ex-girlfriend's wedding, and retire to Hawaii. Here's the challenge I set for myself. With a baking timer and one of Hobart Lascar pharmaceutical notepads in front of me, uh, I sat at the ca- Hobart is his roommate, who gives him a, uh, uh, a ADD, anti-ADD drug uh, <laughs> radical that uh, helps him focus. Um, I sat at the with one of those notepads in front of me. I sat at the note, kitchen table and resolved to spend one solid hour seeing if I could come up with the idea for an airport thriller. List of bestseller ideas. It's July 1776, and George Washington and Ben Franklin and all those guys are in Philadelphia. There's a murder, and the local authorities turn to the only man they think might be able to solve it, Thomas Jefferson. Tie-ins are always popular. Uh, are always popular. Tie-ins to the always popular founding fathers plus murder. That's a bonus. A border patrol officer at, te- at a, in the Tez... Yeah. A border patrol officer in the Texas desert discovers that some Al-Qaeda guys are sneaking across from Mexico. He tries to warn the folks in Washington, but they don't believe him. So it's up to him and a tough but beautiful lady rancher to stop the terrorists from hijacking a train, filling it with chemicals, and blowing up the Alamo. (laughs) Might prompt a tie-in cover store in time. How safe is our border? A Hollywood actor filming a 
jewel heist movie has to stop thieves who try to purloin the real jewels that are being used as props. Maybe Clooney or somebody would play himself in the movie? A lowly but handsome U.S. Department of Agriculture inspector discovers a vast conspiracy to sterilize American men through poison and food. Relatable. Everybody eats food. <laughs> Another possible time, time story. How safe is our food? A lith and athletic former gymnast archaeologist slash archaeologist in Central America stumbles across a long lost city and translate some inscriptions that reveal a diabolical secret. The ancient Mayans discovered how to make nuclear weapons. Pursued by deadly gorillas and shadowy CIA agents, she has to race through the jungle to stop the technology from falling into the wrong hands. Anything Mexican Central American would probably make for a popular Spanish language translation. A fetching young computer programmer discovers a Japanese video game company has impl Im implanted a code in their game that makes kids kill their parents. Could market a tie in video game. <laughs> <laughs> a handsome geologist and a beautiful former ballet dancer slash penguin expert in Antarctica <laughs> discover a sinister oil company plan to destroy the icy continent. Penguins are sellable. A CIA agent discovers the Chinese are secretly training an army of genetically engineered dragons. An American college guy on a Rhodes Scholarship discovers a code in Shakespeare's play. The code leads to a secret about the Bible. <laughs> a yoga, yoga instructor slash marine biologist discovers that dolphins have a code in their DNA put there by aliens, the Catholic Church, oil companies. A hip modern Londoner discovers she's under a zombie curse that's followed her family since the 16th century, uh, since her 16th century pirate ancestors. She's helped by a reggae singer who also teaches her how to relax and let love happen. <laughs> they also fight crime. Uh, a New York City cop discovers some uh, discovers that some Hasidic Jews have discovered a long lost 11th commandment that changes everything. <laughs> Pharmaceutical companies are poisoning everyone's brains. The last thing I realized wasn't my idea. It was something a homeless guy had shouted at me as he was stuffing newspapers into his shirt. Let's say each of my ideas is worth $500,000 in royalties plus $1 million in movie rights plus an additional $1 million in franchise fees. That means the paper in my hand was worth $32.5 million. I decided to cut that in half to be conservative. But still, <laughs> maybe he was thinking about stern faces and strange symbols on dollar bills that gave me one last idea as the baking timer went off. A newly elected idealistic president discovers that the history of the United States has been guided by a cabal of aliens in a secret society of their human collaborators. That's the one I knew it. People love reading about presidents, and I could pack in the monsters of best-selling nonfiction, Washington, Lincoln, Jefferson, <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt. A suitably epic title occurred to me, Angels in the Whirlwind. The image of mammoth stacks of copies of Angels in the Whirlwind at Costco and movie posters and Reader's Guide and tied in National Geographic specials appeared so clearly that I couldn't wait to make it a physical reality. I rushed to my computer and started typing. What I discovered that after dramatically shifted my understanding of entertainment's economics, writing a thriller, a Hawaii beach house uh, personal helicopter level blockbuster, is damn near impossible. That's why Tim Drew can give away his secrets for free. It's easy at first, describing your hero's monumental chin and iron core integrity and so forth but so slowly you discover it's like a math 
complicated math problem or assembling a bookshelf. You have to keep to- keep track of dozens of tiny parts, which good guys turn out to be bad guys, which cars get blown up by which helicopters, and you know your readers will have no patience. They're demanding ev- entertainment. Every page has to be interesting and full of guns and veiled threats and snappy retorts. It's exhausting. With a literary fiction, you can just cover up everything with a, with a coat of wordy spackle. The wordies are searching for wisdom, so they're easier to trick. I put angels in the whirlwind aside. I think it's a decent idea if anybody wants to pay me to fish, uh, finish it, call my agent. But that afternoon, I went back to the Tornado's Ashes Club, which is his literary fiction. And I googled Calvados and learned that the region known as Calvados, home to the uh, eponymous uh, Apple Brady, is bordered on the north by Bela de Sign, on the east by the Sign River. I looked up at Preston Brooks, the guy, literary fiction selling, shooing his horse. I knew I could beat him. <laughs> so... Um, that is just one, two, a few pages of how I became a famous novelist. That's it, awesome. It's fucking hilarious. You would love it. So, uh, and we'll be back in a second with shoutouts and anecdotes. And I plan on eating you slowly. We're not unreasonable. I mean, no one's gonna eat your eyes. You open up the door We'll all come inside and eat your brain And we're back Hey Yeah Alright, uh, next on NPR No, I'm sorry, <laughs> RPPR We're gonna have shoutouts It's like, shoutouts? Yes Where we give thanks to those who have done things Because we're on public radio, so everything's nice and cool. No, no, I, you know, shit fuck so, <laughs> shit balls. All right, let's uh, let's get these shout outs started with. Um, My old lady once said that I wasn't good enough. Yeah, uh, you had a couple. Um, yes, I do. Uh, yeah. One is a web comic, actually, yes. that I. It means more a little more to me because I discovered it, and uh, it's called Skin Deep. Yeah, it's about there's monsters in the world, Tom, <laughs> <laughs> and they're hiding amongst us. Ooh. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the artwork's really good, writing's really good, but. What makes this one interesting to me is, first of all, the artist and writer is from Springfield, yeah. our hometown. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, and Ross said that she that he knows her. Yeah, yeah, I've talked to her a few times, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it also takes place in the Ozarks. Yeah. So that's bonus for me. Yeah, yeah. And what's even worse, I just stumbled across it by accident. Yeah. So that's like oh, as opposed is... to stumbling across it on purpose. You don't stumble across something on purpose. Well, you said, if you if you find it on then purpose, why did you, you say stumble across it. it on accident? I mean, if you say you stumbled across it, that would fine. That was okay. That was a little redundant. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Will you forgive me? Please forgive me. It's Ross. not about what I'm going to forgive. Are the listeners going to forgive? I think me? they will. Are you sure? I'll bribe them if I have to. With what? With whatever they want. Whoa. I will fulfill their darkest oh. desire. Oh, my God. But there's always a price. Uh, uh. Get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> now I'm thinking about what our listeners, they're they're the weird, I mean, man, I, I can't even are imagine. Are you saying our, our listeners are weird? They're, they're, they're some weirdos. I mean. You son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, 
I actually, speaking of listeners, my first shout out is for Soma FM dot uh, com. Soma FM, you know, um, it's a internet radio station, uh, streaming radio uh, based in San Francisco. I've been listening to one of their little channels on it called Mission Control, which is sort of ambient chill out music, kind of like ah, uh, kind of cosmic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they've uh, mixed it with live audio, live audio from uh, NASA. NASA, you know, the space shuttles up there uh, docked with the International Space Station. They're installing that observation room. Yeah. And so, uh, as long as they're not, it, it, they're they're asleep from six a.m. Pacific to two p.m. Pacific, but the rest of the day they're talking on there. So you can hear, uh, Mission Control. Like robot uh, arm is attached to the cupola. We, uh, yeah, to the cupola. We are uh, above the Atlantic Ocean right now, and things are looking great. We're in space. <laughs> Like, uh, I'm on a spaceship. <laughs> it's like we've just seen a cosmic horror beyond time and space <laughs> coming right at us. That would be pretty fucking cool. Um, <laughs> well, not for them, but to listen to it anyway. So it's a very, very cool. If you want to, uh, you know, late night chill out. Don't want to. I mean, I listen to the electronic music, but if I'm listening to something like Prodigy or Basement Jacks, they're kind of like, whoa, let's go. And you know, it, rev me up. And, and uh, Rammstein is. I need to chill out. Rammstein's hard to relax to. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, don't you? <laughs> you seen their news music video? Uh huh. The porn one. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, Rammstein. Rammstein, you're, you're so, so crazy. Uh, what was your next shout out? Uh, yes, my other one is actually a comedy album. I know it's not the most recent one from Jim Gaffigan, but it's Beyond the Pale. Yeah. I just purchased it. Yeah. It's the one the fam- he talks about in depth about Hot Pockets. That's yeah. really what he's most famous for. Yeah. But uh, I, I, it's just really damn funny. Yeah. Another comedian that just delivers. Yeah, solid stuff. We'll have the link to Amazon. You do know we are uh, also, if you're an RPPR listener, you want to help contribute to RPPR, uh, we are an Amazon affiliate. So if you click on a link to one of our stuff and anything you buy on there, we'll get a percentage of that. Very, very, very small percentage of it. Yes. Like but, 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 6% or something. But every bit of money we get goes to keeping the show alive. That Amazon affiliate link paid for the world of Cinnabar. <clears throat> You know, when you say it that way, yeah. it really doesn't sound... doesn't help no, my case at doesn't. all. <laughs> well, the listeners, they probably like, ah, what other piece of crap? They, they love hearing me freak out about where wears. Where storms and... Oh, my God. Where mad. The world ship. Yeah. Oh, God. Motherfucking Cinnabar. Um, so we'll buy shit on our on Amazon if you... Uh, oh, Raven McCracken. What were you thinking? <laughs> he had real life experience with all of that. Um... <laughs> That that was the best part. Uh, let's see. My next one, uh, obviously, how I became a famous novelist, which I just read an excerpt from. Excellent. I have the Amazon link of that up there. It's only fourteen bucks. Uh, they've already optioned it. Uh, John August, who is a screenwriter and director, did the Nines, uh, Big Fish. Uh, yeah, a lot of other movies. Um, he is going to be making the adaptation for it. And that's in development, I think. So I, I trust it will be very funny and very good. I mean, it's a fucking hilarious novel. And it's, it's a quick. Fucking it's fucking hilarious. Like I can read fifty pages like nothing. I've only been reading it like right before I go to sleep, and like I'm still breezing through it. I mean, it's very quick read, very fun read. Um, I cannot recommend it enough. So uh, I've got more, though. I've got more. <laughs> I win the shout-outs. Yeah, because I have more. Um, next up, Greg Stoles, uh, obviously friend of RPPR and uh, famous game designer, Unknown Armies. He was the native guide in Well of Sacrifices. I mean, need I go in? It's Greg Stoles. He, you uh, know who he is. Yeah. He has another ransom up on Kickstarter for a short story he's writing. He's um, got 18. Uh, it goes on until March 4th. 
I think, and you can contribute as little as one dollar. It's a short story, a sci-fi short story called Playborg Photographer. So uh, kind of a sci-fi comedy thing. Um, so if you if you're a fan of uh, his work, then uh, go ahead and give that a shot. Um, let's see here. Oh, and then um, another game designer, Kenneth Height. Who did Trail of Cthulhu and Fear Itself, the Gumshoe system, among right. other things? Um, he has a really good blog post uh, on his live journal about the the role of the goal, the role of a, a game designer, of RPG designer. You know, uh, if you were to break down, a, you know, a story into three elements: there's character, plot, and setting. You know, those mm-hmm. are basic, bare bones stuff. Players are in charge of character. Obviously, they're the ones characterizing yeah. protagonists. Uh, the GM is in charge of plot. You know, it makes sense what's going on in the game. But the game designer's decision isn't character or plot, it's setting. Mm-hmm. So, Kenneth, it's a very short thing, but there's one piece of advice that I've just figured out on my own, too, is that when in doubt, use Earth as a setting. People which, are, you're, it's, you're, it requires less research. Well, it's better documented, and it's more understood and more detailed than any fantasy world you could ever make up. So I'll use Earth. Like, if you say, like he, what he says in there, if Kragar the Liberator is secretly in pay of the drow, I mean... No, what, uh, yeah, like, you, like, even, if you, even if you read the 40-page story, yeah. like, of Kragar the Liberator, then you're like, okay, well, that's kind of... Well, he's kind of two-faced, you know, you're, but if you say, Abraham Lincoln is in the secretly in pay of the drow... You got like, something. Oh, my God, not honest, Abe, no! There must be a reason. Yeah, so use the real world as a starting place for your game. Um, that that's just part of this essay. So um, it's a really good thing. It's a really good little essay. Um, I, I would like it. Uh, let's see here. Then I have a web comic. Yeah, yeah. I'm, that, is this really a competition, Ross? <laughs> it is if I make it. It's like my brother. You know, he my brother lives in Washington D.C. and you know we're here in RPPR in Springfield, Missouri, Midwest. So you know, last couple of weeks have been some weather. Snowpocalypse. Snowpocalypse. Well, not here. We've only had, we already had like eight well, inches. Well, yeah, Snowmageddon. Yeah. Exactly. When Snowmageddon or Snowpocalypse happened, Strader was like, oh, we're getting some snow, Strader. Oh, uh, we're getting more snow. I win. It's not a competition. <laughs> yes, it is. So that, that was literally the phone call between me and my brother. Is He won the weather competition because his place had more snow than us. Like, great. Well, uh, we'll be getting around easier than you. Bye. Actually, it's kind of funny. He showed me his YouTube video. He, he got in like a 4,000-person snowball fight at DuPont Circle in D.C., which looks really fun. Yeah. I we, wish we, I could have done it. We've both been there. One of his friends was uh, snowboarding on the streets. Like, they, they tied uh, um, – you know, rope and the little handle on a car, and the guy was behind the car <laughs> snowboarding. There's a YouTube video of it. It's funny. Um, and then skiing it, in the park. If only you could do that on Pennsylvania Avenue. No. Yeah. No. But can you imagine someone, a car going by, and someone snowboarding behind it with the White House right <laughs> in the background? Yeah. Uh, I don't think that would work out so well. I think it's a good idea. Yeah, it, it would be. Aside from security. Security. Oh, uh, like the Secret Service is going to do anything. Yeah, no, yeah, because oh, no. I'm sure I'm sure there are there are secret Al Qaeda snowboard operators. Yeah. So, anyways, I forgot to mention the name of my the webcomic shop. Yes, you did. Uh, it's Hannah is not a boy's name. Um, it is a very well drawn uh, comic about a a guy named Hannah who runs a supernatural detective so investigation. There are monsters nature. in the world in this one. Yes, there's zombies and ghosts and vampires. That's really it. So far, it's it only started last year, and there's just, right. so there's not archives will take you like an hour or so to read. Um, it's very entertaining, very well. The art's great. 
Um, and yeah, so, you know, I like that. And then um, finally, oh, well, I've got three more. <laughs> it's been a while. I've been saving these up because I write these down, Tom. Anyways, Tom's just looking at me like, how you doing? I'm giving him my, like, yes, Ross, stare. I have a really great music video called, uh, from the Passion Pit song, Sleepyhead. It's on uh, Vimeo. It's, uh, the, the, what's great about the music video is that it uses all public domain archival footage of people dancing. And they he edited, the guy who made it, Gerard Barker, edits it so that they're in sync with the music. But it's just all these world dancing, you know, people, it's very crazy, very just like, ah, I need a, you know, it's happy. It's mm-hmm. a happy music video, so I like, it. and it's really like phenomenal, great editing, you know. Um, and I appreciate a well edited music like, video as good as the bitches love me Pokemon video. It's it's up there, yeah. Okay, it's up there. So, um, and then finally, two movies that I saw that I liked. Uh, one is Stuck, directed by Stuart Gordon, made in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, something like that. Um, it's based on the real life story of the woman who hit a homeless guy. He got embedded in the windshield, and she drove home, left him in the garage to die. So you you remember this, Tom? This yeah, it's, uh, st- it's uh, Stephen. Is it Stephen Ray? Yeah, Stephen Ray is Stephen the main Ray. character in that mm-hmm. in the movie version, and he doesn't die. So, but she he's still stuck in there, and I love it because I'd love to do a scenario, a horror game, where the main character is like this woman who's not evil per se. She's just in total denial. It's the banality of evil. Mm-hmm. She's just a normal person, and she works at a nursing home, and she's very nice to the old people, but she just can't. Like if she reports this, she'll get in trouble, and she just can't. The idea of getting in trouble is just like no, I can't get in trouble. And what she yell she yells at Stephen Ray's character while he's stuck in the windshield, like, "Why are you doing this to me?" It's like, <laughs> yeah. "Wow, that's fucked up." So, and Stuart Gordon, Gordon, so you know, there's some gore in there, oh, some yeah. black comedy. Um, so that's a fun movie. It's only ninety minutes. It's it's a good watch. Um, I don't spoil anything else. The next one is Killing Room. It's a it's a decent thriller. It stars Timothy Hutton. Uh, main character from Leverage, main mm-hmm. dude from Leverage, uh, won an Oscar, and um, some other people. And it's uh, they're all stuck in a room, and the CIA is using it's a modern day version of MK Ultra, the CIA mm-hmm. mind control program. So they're trying to freak, you know, they they freak these people out to try and get them to do what they want. And so it's like a very you know locked room, very minimalist thriller. But it's if you're if I'm a big not you know fan of conspiracy theories, people interpreting conspiracy theories and that right. kind of stuff for it. So if you're a fan of that, that would that would be good to watch. Because it's it's not as good as Stuck. Stuck's m- yeah. more entertaining. But it, it's still it's worth watching. So yeah. So um yeah. Um do you want to read this uh anecdote? Yeah, sure, why not? So um, I know this is from uh, our listener, Wooberman, who is in uh, on the RPPR forums. And the RPPR forums, you should totally go and hang out at. Because they're awesome, and we're there. Well, at least me. I don't know about Tom. I'm there some uh, posting. I'm, I'm there a lot, just posting. I'm. Yeah, I post all the damn time. Yes, I know. <laughs> all right. Anyway, so this is from... Uh, Wooberman. Wooberman. He says, Hi, Ross and Tom. First of all, I'd like to compliment you guys at RPBR for your advice and guidance through the treacherous trial of electrical acid fire that is the role of GM, without which I would not be writing this missive now. I've been listening to your podcast for almost a year, now starting with episode 22, Get Your Fear On, again instrumental to this anecdote. I'd also like to thank you for introducing me to the gumshoe system, and more importantly, fear itself. I purchased this, Esoterrorist, and the Book of Unremitting Horror soon after listening to that episode, so well done there. I had been itching to run Fear Itself ever since, but 
Sorry. I had been itching to run Fear Itself ever since, but with it being someone else's turn to run a campaign, I politely sat back and let someone else pull the puppet strings. Fast forward to two weeks ago, a dreary Sunday evening games night, and due to a freak snowstorm, the first one in our town for almost 20 years, our Shadowrun DM couldn't attend, so we're left without a game to run. Opportunity beckons. I'd spoken at length at the other players about the merits of Fear Itself and had already fleshed out pre-gen characters for them to play, tailored to what kind of character they'd enjoy. So the lineup is as follows, including the worst thing they ever did. The Brain, a curious academic student who cheated on his entrance exam to university. The Sexy Girl, a Cordelia-style horny head cheerleader queen bee with a superiority complex. She drove a fellow student to suicide through bullying. The Good Guy, a protective medical student in his third year. He accidentally killed a patient by giving him the wrong medication. The Authority Figure, a vengeful ex-police self-defense teacher who lost his job after hospitalizing a student during a sparring match. This is soon to, this is soon to be somewhat vastly outdone. That's in parentheses. The Good Girl, a skeptical convenience store clerk who once pushed the guy who was mugging her into oncoming traffic. My wife. <laughs> and finally, The Wise Guy, a stereotype I made to fit as fit as there were no more to fit that fit the bill. A greedy Polish hospital domestic cleaner who once put child porn on his friend's computer and called the police. Note, Wise Guy and Sexy Girl are in a long-standing and complicated relationship. So with the pre-gens al allocated and everyone given a brief outline of the rules we are ready to be in, I decided to run the Ocean in the Forest scenario from the back of the Fear Itself book since everyone in the group was a member of our local Boffer LARP group. Funnily enough, it's how we all met, by beating each other senseless. There are plenty of anecdotes relating to your LARP antics, but I'm not sure they're appropriate due to RPPR being a PNP podcast. If you want to hear them, I've always got time to put a few out. Post in the comments if you want to hear Wooberman's uh, LARP anecdotes. Yes, do that. Please. Yes. NPR. <laughs> <laughs> the opening went pretty much to plan. Various flashbacks, including wise guys spreading erroneous rumors that Sexy Girl had performed sexual favors on him at a party, and another where Good Guy was being screwed over during an, a LARP session by some of, the, some of the later introduced antagonists. This was fantastic, as it was drawing on a whole lot of previous LARP experiences, mingled with the I Killed the King scene from Ro Role Models. As the flashbacks are done with, it's on to their first proper scene, the car crash. This is where the malevolent entity from the Outer Black, the Mystery Man, witnesses the characters and decides to slowly but surely fuck their shit up. I base the Mystery Man in, his, in this instance on Slenderman from the Something Awful forums. Fast forward to the actual event. The group, named Fear Itself because the players thought it was cool, were, were kitted out and sitting in their de designated area to defend from the hideous Darkspawn Horde. I changed it from Orcs because before the game the players were talking extensively about Dragon Age. They were given their introduction that they're planning a competitive LARP event where there is a cash prize for the winners and that they were and that they were defending the Seven Kingdoms from the Darkspawn. They were also given a radio to call in to their personal game referee for anything they wanted to do in that game that wasn't physically possible. Casting spells, flying, etc. Anyhow, as the group got into the basic flow of the event, I'm gradually cranking the menace up. A mutilated rabbit here, some antisocial behavior there, layers upon layers. <clears throat> That's a hem in parentheses. <laughs> Come the next morning where Wise Guy witnesses two of the guys in the camp next to them getting into a heated argument that ends in one beating the other's face in with a cooking stove. What was Wise Guy's reaction? He records it on the camera phone he snuck into the event. Is this to show the police as evidence? No, it's for YouTube. A swing and a miss. Then, as usual for a LARP event, some of the staff, dressed as Darkspawn, attacks the group with boffer weapons. No biggie, the group manages just fine. 
So well, in fact, that authority figure gets blood drunk and wants to chase down the survivors into the woods. So along with Wise Guy, they venture forth and stumble across one of the guys they hate, running away from them in a different direction, so they follow him instead. Note to self, PCs are like dogs. They like to chase things. Wise Guy ends up tripping on a clumsily made dangerous trap left by the guy who was running away. This trap was a super soaker filled with nail varnish remover. The, guy, the guys they hate are physically are playing psychic albino daywalker vampires <laughs> and has a lighter strapped to the nozzle. Wise Guy is unarmed, damn. Is unharmed, damn. But the trap has stopped the daring duo. Authority figure does just what his name says. He dismantles the trap, radios, in, radios into the game's control, and hands in the offending evidence. Now before taking the nail varnish remover. All this time he's grinning at me in that way that says, he's got a plan. Oh crap, I forgot he was vengeful. Moving on, slowly but surely, the event turns into chaos, and I tried my hardest to tickle everyone's risk factors. Brain stumbles upon a cache of weapons, including a flare gun and a chromed revolver, both loaded, shows them to a th- shows them to authority figure, who subsequently confiscates them, but doesn't turn them in. Sexy girl goes for a lie down, finds some hentai stolen by wise guy from one of the other camps, and finds one of them to be strangely prophetic, showing six heroes defending their camp from Darkspawn. Think the I'm in a, like, I'm in a comic drug trip from the Max Payne number one. So on and on, so on and so on. Eventually it all turns to hell. Good Girl stumbles upon the body of the event's CEO after he hung himself and freaks out. And she's running back to camp. Authority figure is being set upon by a number of Slenderman-controlled LARP geeks, including the wizard with an ill-fitting fake beard, a crimson guard from Star Wars, and a Klingon. Authority figure decides to arm himself with what he has. Will it be the gun? Nope, it's a rope with a tent peg tied to the end. How's that for player ingenuity? (laughs) As this is happening, Wise Guy and Brain aren't doing much and aren't really opening, open to leaving Sexy Girl alone, so I ended up treating them to a show of the anime geek from the camp on the other side. I called him Goku Sephiroth, the Stampede. <laughs> Gutting one of his teammates with his unfeasibly large anime sword, Brain was about to act worried when he was interrupted by Wise Guy clapping and shouting is nice in his best Borat impression. It took all, it took all I could not to hit him. A second swing and a miss. I figured that Wise Guy didn't want to play a horror game anymore and was more inclined to be a jackass. Thankfully, the players rebuked him for his transgressions with the beautiful line, You're supposed to be playing a Wise Guy, not a twat. <laughs> Back in game, the characters had decided that enough was enough and no amount of money is going to keep them there, so they moved, from, moved for the car park. Authority figure turns up bloodied and panting at the camp as they leave, deciding to pick a few essentials before he leaves with them. They don't wait for him. He turns to me. Where's the guy who made the trap? You're not sure. You remember his camp was about three uh, was about three over from yours. Okay, I pick up the bottle and vanilla varnish remover and leave for there. He doesn't go far before he runs into that guy, who, who by now has blood all over his chalky white face and has the look of a rabid skunk. Authority figure thinks this guy is a vampire and chucks the nail varnish remover at him. I say, okay, he's covered in the remover. He se- it seems to have pissed him off. He says, I fire the flare gun into his chest. Vengeance is hot and fiery. Remind me not to piss off this guy ever. Yeah. Yes. Is that it? No. Okay. It was a good end to a session, so I decided to leave it at that. Thankfully, the players said they had a great time, and I did too. I forgot to mention all this time I had the Silent 2 Hill soundtrack playing in the background. Some people say that iPods are physically attuned or at least have dramatic appropriateness built into their hardware. During this session, I can agree as the the track called Betrayal decided to play just as Good Girl found the CEO's body. It thoroughly freaked her and the players out. Nice. 
Okay, I've rambled on way too much, but I want to thank you guys once again for revolutionizing and reinventing the way I run and play ga these games. It would make my day if you found this worthy of a mention during one of your podcasts, but I think it's probably too long or lame. Or thank you and good night. Yes. No, it's not too. No, long no, too. no, it's not. Yeah, we're, we're... we read it. Yeah. How do, you, how do you like them apples? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we're gonna it make just you, proves how great we are because we uh, we're gonna make you awesome famous. Advi advice. Yeah. You're gonna be famous now because uh, yeah, you the dedicated listeners are here. You're the true heroes because you, you are. You you absorb our wisdom. You and go out and spread it to the world. You complete us. Yeah, you make the the gaming world a better place. You so, do. Yeah. So um, it's like a mystery. So <laughs> a mystery upon mystery, layers upon layers. Yeah, it's yes. a rich tapestry. I like, I like tapestries. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this has been episode 41, the Smoking D20. Be sure to check out zombiesoftheworld.com. You shall not be disappointed. Uh, Codex of the War Ransom should be up soon and all this other good stuff. So we'll uh, catch you next time. See you later. From the office down the hall. It's good to see you, buddy. How have you been? Things have been okay for me. Except that I'm a zombie now I really wish you'd let us in I think I speak for all of us When I say I understand Why you folks might hesitate To submit to our demand But here's an FYI You're all gonna die screaming I mean, no one's gonna eat your eyes All we want to do is eat your brains We're at an impasse here Maybe we should compromise If you open up the door We'll all come inside and eat your brains I don't want to nitpick but is this really your plan? Spend your whole life locked inside a mall Maybe that's okay for now But someday you'll be out of food and guns And you'll have to make the call I'm not surprised to see you haven't thought it through enough You never had the head bigger picture stuff but Tom that's what I do and I plan on eating you slowly all we want to do is eat your brains we're not unreasonable I mean no one's gonna eat your eyes all we want to do is eat your brains we're at an impasse here maybe we should if you open up the door, we'll all come inside and eat your brains. I'd like to help you, Tom, in any way I can. I sure appreciate the way you're working with me. I'm not a monster, Tom. Well, technically I am. I guess I am
we'll get to common ground somehow. Meanwhile, I'll report back to my colleagues who were chewing on the doors. I guess we'll table this for now. I'm glad to see you take constructive criticism well. Thank you for your time. I know we're all busy as hell. And we'll put this thing to bed when I bash your head open. All we want to do is eat your brains. We're not unreasonable. I mean, no one's gonna eat your eyes. Maybe we should compromise. Open up the doors. We'll all come inside.